Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. We do a monetary review of Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand and Vietnam following new data and interest rate increases. We also discuss the resilience of ASEAN banks vis-à-vis Silicon Valley Bank. And finally, something that we might not be able to escape is the clutches of El Nino, which has a 50% chance of surfacing in July. We discuss its impact on currencies and oil palm output. Suhaimi Ilyas, our chief economist, speaks to the team. Hi, morning everyone. Um, let's start as usual. Um, in China, last month saw Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, rose to a better than expected 51.9, while the non-manufacturing PMI rose to 58.2. That's the highest since May 2011. Uh, index readings above 50 indicates expansions. Uh, meanwhile, e-commerce giant Alibaba Group announced a plan to break up into six units that can independently raise capital or even seek IPOs. On tech sector, a notable development last week was Japan's government announcement of restrictions in exports of 23 types of leading-edge semiconductor manufacturing equipment, saying equipment makers now will need to seek export permissions. Uh, the restrictions will come into force in uh, July. The announcement comes after US imposed uh, export restrictions in October last year on chip making tools to China and call on other key suppliers including Japan and Netherlands to follow suit. Um, overnight, OPEC Plus announced a surprise 1 million barrels per day cut in oil output led by Saudi's half a million barrels per day reduction. Uh, oil futures jumped as much as 8% in response. Uh, this week, uh, key economic uh, data in the pipeline includes Indonesia's and Thailand's March inflation numbers uh, released on Mondays and Wednesday respectively. And later in the week and Friday, uh, we'll have US job data, unemployment rate, non-farm payroll, and hourly earnings for the month of March. Um, today, we have Zamros, Jui, and Brian on Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam macro. Tillian and Desmond will go through ASEAN and Malaysia's banking sector. Uh, Andy will come in uh, to speak on uh, the latest issue of ASEAN X macro on FX. And last but not least, we will have cheating. Uh, Zamros first. Uh, Zamros BNM released its economic and monetary report 2022, I think on Thursday last week. Uh, what are the main highlights from the reports, especially in terms of the official uh, forecasts and assumptions? Are there material differences or changes versus the uh, forecasts and assumptions outlined during the retabling of budget 2023 just over a month ago? Yeah, uh, morning, Swami. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, the uh, official forecast uh, for the uh, Malaysian economy is now uh, expected to expand uh, in the range between 4 to 5%. Uh, this is uh, uh, against the uh, point forecast of 4.5% uh, when the government uh, retabled the 2023 budget back in February. So the uh, the slower growth uh, for this year from 8.7% last year is uh, basically attributed to the uh, slower global economic growth and also from the uh, elevated uh, inflation and uh, input cost. Uh, looking from the demand side, uh, basically no change. Uh, in the uh, domestic demand uh, forecast and also the big items in domestic demand such as the private consumption and also gross fixed capital formation. But nevertheless, uh, BNM cut uh, the uh, growth forecast for exports and imports this year uh, 
basically because of the uh, expectation of uh, slower global economic growth uh, for this year. Export is now uh, at uh, expected at 2.7% uh, versus 3.1% uh, back in February, and also imports at 2.1%. Uh, uh, from 2.3% uh, back in February. Now, basically, the uh, uh, assumptions on the uh, do domestic economy, uh, the, the domestic economy is expected to be uh, supported uh, from the, the uh, resilient uh, household spending uh, from the uh, income growth, uh, improve uh, labor market conditions, and also sustain uh, investment activities uh, from the improved construction activities and also the uh, multi-year uh, large-scale infrastructure projects. But nevertheless, uh, uh, from uh, a global growth perspective, uh, Bank Negara is looking at uh, the positive and the negative. Uh, the positives being that the uh, they expect continued resilient labor market conditions, especially in the advanced economy, uh, which supported the household spending, uh, supported uh, the from the reopening of the uh, China economy, and also from the easing of supply chain. Uh, disruptions. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the risk and headwinds will be coming uh, from uh, elevated inflation, uh, tight monetary policy and uh, financial conditions, uh, higher financial market volatility, and also the uh, uncertainty amid the recent uh, banking stress in the uh, advanced economy. So overall, uh, from the, uh, uh, from the uh, increased uncertainty in the global economic growth, uh, Bank Negara basically uh, uh, revise uh, the global, gro global growth uh, uh, for this year to 2.4 uh, range 2.4 and 2.9 percent uh, versus 2.9 percent point forecast uh, during the uh, retable of budget in February. Uh, brand is now uh, expected as between 80 and 90 US dollar per barrel and uh, CPO price at 3,400 and 4,200 uh, per ton. Uh, so, I mean, um, what about um? Bank Negara's monetary policy, specifically on OBR, are there any takeaways, hints, or clues? Yeah, uh, so basically, uh, Bank Negara, uh, uh, in the view that the uh, current monetary policy stance uh, continued to be uh, supportive of growth uh, in trying to balance uh, between uh, inflation and uh, economic growth, and the current pause, which is also coined as the uh, conditional pause, uh, is basically to assess the impact of uh, past uh, OPR adjustments, basically last year. And also, Bank Negara also stressed that the uh, further normalization in the monetary policy uh, will depend very much on the uh, conditions in the global economy and also from the domestic economy. Uh, but I think the, the, the major points made by Bank Negara during that time uh, last week is that uh, they, they see inflation uh, still not contained yet. Uh, we are still not out of wood yet, uh, which bodes well with our view of another 25 basis point rate hike uh, later uh, this year. So, I mean. Right, thanks, uh, Zamrose. Uh, let's move on to Juye. Uh, Monetary Authority of Singapore next. Uh, Monetary Policy Review is on 14 of April, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, what's the House view on mass action and what are the rationales? Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, so we are expecting the MAS to tighten uh, for the sixth straight time by recentering the senior band to the prevailing level uh, in, in order to dampen core inflation, which is still well above the MAS comfort zone. Uh, latest data print was 5.5% uh, for the first two months of 2023. 
we are not expecting a change to the slope and width of the band. Uh, we think that this may possibly be the final tightening move as the economy is slowing quite significantly due to weakening external demand. And the rationale for the tightening is really, uh, given that core inflation has been quite sticky, we are expecting MAS to raise its core inflation forecast to 4 to 5% from the previous 35 to 4.5% range, uh, while maintaining its headline inflation forecast at 55 to 6.5%. Uh, we are raising our uh, core inflation forecast to 4.5% from the previous 4%. Uh, this is really because core inflation has been sticky with broad price increases across food, retail and services uh, following the 1 percentage point GST hike in January and also a persistently tight labour market. Uh, expansion of the progressive wage model to food services may also uh, further fan food price pressures in the second quarter onwards. Let's move to Thailand. Bank of Thailand uh, decided to further raise interest rates by 25 basis point last week. Uh, this was despite the continuing contractions in manufacturing sector in exports. So the question is, is domestic demand and inflation in Thailand is running hot? And uh, are there any guidance from BOT on its uh, policy direction ahead? Yeah, uh, so for Thailand, domestic demand is staying resilient uh, despite the continued decline in manufacturing and exports for the fifth month in February. Uh, private consumption continued to rise by 4% in the first two months of the year, uh, particularly driven by purchases of passenger cars, uh, given the delivery of backlog orders, uh, especially for electric vehicles. And tourist arrivals is also holding up uh, uh, private consumption. It rose to close to 6.2 million in the first quarter. And that has prompted the BOT to raise its full-year visitor arrivals forecast to 28 million from the previous 25.5 million. Uh, consumer confidence index is also up to 52.6 in February. That's the highest level in three years since the start of the pandemic. So we think these factors can help push the first quarter GDP growth higher to above 2% uh, from the previous 1.4% in the fourth quarter. On the other hand, uh, inflation has been easing. Uh, headline CPI fell to a 13-month low of 3.8% in February, but it's still above the BOT's target range of 1% to 3%. Uh, we have revised down our headline inflation forecast to 2.7% uh, from the previous 3.3%, as food and energy costs have been easing faster than expected. In terms of uh, BOT's guidance on policy direction, it has signaled in its latest meeting that the tightening cycle may not be over yet, uh, the assistant governor mentioned in the briefing that with all the data that BO has, uh, BOT has, of, has as of now, they think that their rate normalization should continue and that there is room for lenders and borrowers to cope with rising financial costs. Uh, we maintain our view of a final 25 bips hike in May to bring the terminal rate in this cycle to 2%, uh, after which we expect the BOT to post, uh, given that inflation will return to its target range as early as the second quarter. Thanks, Ji. Uh, Let's uh, move on to Vietnam. Um, Brian's first quarter uh, GDP came in below expectations. Uh, State Bank of Vietnam, the central bank, responded uh, with another round of interest rate cuts. Have these developments affected your view on Vietnam's uh, growth forecast and SBV's monetary policy outlook? 
Hey, uh, morning, so I mean, morning, everyone. Yeah, sure. Let me give uh, more details about the first quarter GDP growth. Um, so first quarter GDP growth nearly half to 3.3%, uh, from 5.9% in the previous quarter. Uh, to put this into context, this was the slowest outturn since the Delta wave in the third quarter of 2021. And the main reason... Uh, for weak growth was a 12% slump in exports over the quarter, which led to a mild contraction in the manufacturing sector. Following which, we have downgraded our full-year GDP forecast to 5.5% from 6.3% previously, as the latest data have underscored how the economy is being hit at full force by both external and domestic headwinds. As one of the most export-oriented economies, it is highly exposed to weakening global consumer demand. Uh, recessionaries in the US have risen significantly with the US banking crisis, which does not bode well for external demand. And on the domestic front, the key uh, stresses faced by developers. Though recent regulatory easing has somewhat helped to mitigate mit uh, repayment troubles, more bonds are maturing in the second and third quarters, and the investment confidence will take time to recover. Now, moving on to monetary policy, the SPV cut the interest rate on the IRI financing facility and deposit rate cap uh, for uh, terms of less than six months by 50 basis points. Uh, it was announced uh, on Friday. The decision comes just two weeks after 100 basis points cut to the discount rate, but uh, it's understandable in our view given the need to act quickly to support the economy when growth falters while contained inflation and currency pressures allow them the leeway to act. So on the outlook, we are maintaining our base case uh, for another 50 basis points cuts to the refinancing rate and short-term deposit rate caps this year. Uh, the next round of cuts we think may be delivered uh, possibly during the second quarter, assuming that growth remains soft on persistently weak exports and the ongoing real estate liquidity crunch, while inflation is kept in check by slow growth. Now, a key risk to our policy rate forecast would be if growth picks up significantly in the second quarter, which would obviously diminish the need for further policy loosening. A key driver of recovery could be faster than expected growth boost from China's reopening, for instance, from a rapid return of Chinese tourists. I'm back to you, Suhaimi. Thanks, um, Brian. Uh, we, we're done with macro. Uh, let's move to everyone's uh, favorite sector in past few weeks, banking. Uh, Tillen, the issue that led to the recent sort of US-European bank turmoil was certain specifics of their balance sheets, like uh, you know, mark-to-market losses on their securities holdings and exposures to alternative or additional, I think, tier one instruments or AT1. What about ASEAN banks? Are there reasons to be comforted or otherwise, as far as the balance sheets of the regional banks are concerned? Yeah, morning, Swami. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think ultimately banking is about trust. And what we saw that was that the trust breaking down, especially for depositors in the US, mid-sized banks, and also at Credit Suisse. Uh, specifically, as you said, this was uh, to do with the value of the security holdings and the impact on bank capital, and also the unconventional way the Swiss regulators treated uh, debt and equity. Now, when you look at the ASEAN banks, only around 11 to 25% of their balance sheets are debt and equity securities. So a, a lot smaller than the Western counterparts. Uh, and if you take their held to maturity portfolios, which is where the fears were uh, for the US banks, uh, and mark them down to similar uh, levels as their uh, fair value through, through a comprehensive income portfolio, the write-downs to equity was only around 2 to 3%. Uh, especially for the bigger markets like Singapore and Malaysia. 
Uh, plus, uh, the ASEAN banks have very low dependence on AT1s for their regulatory capital. They only make up around 44 basis points of their tier one ratios, uh, while their CET one ratios are about 480 basis points in excess of regulatory comfort levels, not regulatory minimum levels, but regulatory comfort levels. So even if uh, you know there are difficulties in refinancing AT1s or issuing new AT1s, we think the overall impact to capital is fairly low. So we think ASEAN banks are at a, uh, is, a is at a good place and they're also probably a good place to hide. Uh, they've got very conservative balance sheets, uh, lower risk uh, banking business models, uh, good regulatory oversight, and also a lot of their growth is decoupled uh, uh, with uh, China growth coming through as well as domestic consumption. Uh, in terms of uh, banking markets, we are positive on Malaysia, uh, Philippines and Thailand and neutral on Indonesia, Singapore, and Vietnam. Sorry. Thanks, uh, Dylan. Let's uh, narrow down to Malaysia banks. Um, Desmond, aside from the Economic and Monetary Report 2022, Bank also released the Financial Stability Report for second half of last year. What are the things that you feel are very important for our listeners to take note of uh, from the report. Morning, Swami. So yeah, there are two segments in the report itself that I would like to highlight. Firstly, is that the report continues to point to a stable and resilient banking system, but it acknowledges that there are headwinds in the economy. In the business sector, um, you've got rising input costs that have contributed to higher operating costs, particularly in the construction and manufacturing sectors. As for the consumer segment, certain segments of borrowers, mainly in the lower income group, continue to face higher debt service burdens, as well as the self-employed or those employed in vulnerable sectors that are still recovering from the pandemic. So the banks still need to maintain vigilance at this point in time. Secondly, you know, just to add on to what Tillin has said about the ASEAN banks, is that in Bank Nagara's presentation slides, it compares Malaysian banks to those in the US that recently defaulted and points out that Malaysian banks have only about 7% of bonds held at amortized cost relative to 43% for the likes of Silicon Valley Bank. And even if the marked market losses of just 17 uh, would decline just by three basis points to 17.1% from 18.2%. Um, secondly, as well, is the fact that the depositor composition of Malaysian banks is diversified with individuals accounting for 30%. 38% of total deposits, businesses 34% and other depositors 28%. And finally, the liquidity coverage ratio for banks is currently healthy at 154%. One interesting fact as well is that more than 96% of deposits in Malaysia's banking system are insured by PIDM as compared to less than 60% in the US. So as such, there is no risk of Malaysian banks facing the kind of risk that the smaller US banks face. Well, thanks, uh, Desmond. So I guess um, overall from what Dylan and Desmond have said, as far as ASEAN banks is concerned, we are okay from balance sheet perspective and certainly from a point of view of trust. Um, Andy, um, FX research team wrote the latest ASEAN X Macro, looking at the relationship between commodity prices and ASEAN currencies. Interesting topic. Can you run through the report in terms of observations and conclusions? Uh, morning, uh, Swami. Uh, we, when we did the report, we didn't expect Saudi Arabia to 
announced uh, the OPEC Plus to announce that surprise oil production cut uh, by more than one million dollars a barrel. So all prices have actually moved, like as you shared uh, earlier on. But yes, yeah, so some of the uh, the commodities that we looked at, so I mean, uh, is oil, crude oil, uh, coal, uh, nickel, and palm oil. So essentially, um, within ASEAN, uh, we all know Malaysia is a net oil exporting nation, uh, whilst Indonesia, Thailand, and Philippines are all net oil uh, importing countries. So I, all prices can have uh, contrasting effects on various currencies. So based on our analysis, we find, unsurprisingly, that higher brand prices has a strong positive effect on ringgit, uh, whilst at the same time, it has negative effect on Thai baht and peso. The effect, though, whilst negative for the latter currencies, uh, cannot be said to be substantial. As for the IDR, we noticed in a, in a longer time frame of over a decade, uh, higher brand prices have had positive effect on the currency. However, we, when we take a shorter time frame, uh, for example, last two years, we see that brand actually weighs slightly negatively on the currency. The, this, this change over time could be due to Indonesia's rising net import position, uh, given falling production and uh, rising consumption needs, right, right, falling oil production, uh, in, uh, what I mean. So overall, in light of the, for oil, uh, in light of the moderate outlook for crude, which we think uh, will not move beyond uh, 100 to 110 levels, uh, our current range uh, for, for crude oil uh, for Brenton uh, is about 80 to 90, or with the recent move, probably around the 90 to 95 uh, to possibly. So we think that we're not expecting the four, effect, uh, four ASEAN currencies to be either heavily benefiting or hurt by crude oil prices this year. However, I think it, the dollar moves might be affected somewhat. On palm oil, uh, we expect some demand pickup combined with a limit to supply growth. Uh, all this implies that market uh, still has some legs to it. Uh, the 2022 peak price is unlikely to be challenged again for a while, we think. Uh, but consensus still expects the price to stay elevated uh, at around uh, ringgit 3,800 a ton for 2023. So uh, further down the road, we do not rule out the possibility of a uh, climb back up. So we think that the crop is, um, there could be some upside in some sense for, for Ringgit and IDR, uh, which will be mostly impacted uh, uh, for them. So uh, we think that palm oil prices has uh, likely more positive effect on Rupiah, uh, given the surge in, um, uh, it's a little surprise because the surge in palm oil prices during the pandemic years have helped push the Rupiah uh, current crown surplus. Uh, but the effect tends to be quite marginal and lags behind other factors like the dollar, actually. So prices are likely going to be lower than the past year, uh, but the commodity is, uh, we think it's set to be less of a support for rupiah 2023, but I think it will stay elevated, so the currency won't be either be heavily hurt uh, by it as well. Uh, ringgit front, we think uh, for on the palm oil front, uh, I think the higher volume of uh, Malaysian palm oil exports has been supporting the stronger currency. But palm oil in 2021 alone was, uh, as we know, is the third most exported product. Uh, but the I think in terms of uh, globally, it's also the second largest exporter of palm oil. But just like the idea, we think that the prices are expected to come off from the 2022 peak. So the commodity may be less of a support for ringgit uh, in 2023 as well. The other uh, commodities on coal prices, we think are more likely to moderate. We think in 2023, all of that would have some impact on, on uh, currencies like uh, Indonesia, which actually is a, quite a significant exporter of, uh, uh, of coal. And we expect coal prices, uh, probably with the risk of actually picking up maybe towards the latter part of the year rather than now. Uh, so I, on that front, I think we expect that 
uh, support for Rupiah to come in towards the end of the year if coal picks up again. Uh, the last point I just want to share is in terms of uh, crops, soft commodity crops like rice and all that may be impacted by El Nino, uh, which we think uh, there's um, the American Center for Climate has expected a 50% probability, so it's 50-50, but we expect some risk premiums to be priced in to some extent. Uh, there could be some impact on the rupiah more uh, and those currencies that export the rice uh, much more significantly. So just want to highlight those uh, climate patterns have an impact on currencies uh, in the region. Uh, but we would recommend uh, CNY and Sing dollar as a hedge uh, to compact because they are more resilient currencies. Uh, sorry, me. Can, can it be said in the future over the longer term, um, commodities like you know, oil and gas, palm oil, coal, will become perhaps increasingly less important in determining movements of ASEAN currencies like, uh, let's say, Indonesian rupiah and ringgit, but commodities of the futures, for example, metal that matters to stuff like renewable energy, EV, will be more influential, more important? Yeah, I, I think it could be a possibility, but uh, we just can't deny the fact. If you look at our charts, uh, the highlight or highlighting agriculture as a percentage of GDP, and most of them are soft commodity um, sort of exporters like India, Indonesia, Vietnam, Philippines. Uh, of the agriculture sector is as a percentage of GDP. Indonesia is close to about 13%. Vietnam is about 12%. Um, so uh, we can't deny the fact that they would be impacted by climate change and all that. But for those countries like Indonesia, which have both soft commodities and all, and the beauty of uh, the fact that they also have hard commodities like metals, like nickel, for example, which will be a gradual move, medium to long-term support because of green technology demand. Um, so there, there could be some positive uh, impact uh, on the rupiah as well. But however, I just want to highlight uh, those aspects of uh, nickel exports and all that would uh, impact on the currencies could be mitigated by the fact that the development of an EV industry uh, or the exports of it having some benefit on the growth uh, could be a function of uh, how the industry, uh, industry actually can pan out given talent that they need, uh, they need infrastructure and talent as well, that may be, uh, have some positive long-term impact. So overall, uh, uh, so I mean, the most, the one that uh, stands out uh, because of the very nature of the resources that they have in ASEAN uh, would be Rupiah uh, IDR, um, which seems to have both the soft and uh, hard metals commodities supported by the green tech and the sustainability sort of efforts. Plus also they have coal, which will support any increasing volatility needed of energy uh, out of Europe as well. So uh, just want to highlight that point. Uh, and the agricultural point that I shared, we cannot run away from the fact agricultural. But um, the last point I'll highlight is that um, indeed, like you mentioned, oil uh, correlation of oil to ringgit and all that has fallen off slightly uh, over the past uh, five to 10 years. Uh, so indeed, yes, it does show some reduced correlations. But I think going forward, I think agriculture will still remain a significant um, a correlation with the ASEAN currencies. Swami? Thanks, Andy. I guess so, with concerns about food security as well. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Piting, sorry for keeping you waiting, but um, your note on regional plantations today is about US farmers' plan for the next uh, planting season for corn and soybeans. I mean, first, can you share with us what are the US farmers going to do and why? And secondly, 
I guess ultimately also, how does this impact CPO? Morning, so Jaime. So late last Friday, uh, USDA issued uh, its uh, prospective planting report, which is basically a survey of uh, US farmers' crop planting intention this uh, season. The report did not offer any major surprises. According to the survey, US farmers intend to plant about 88 uh, million acres of soybean in 2023, which is roughly the same acreage as a year ago. Uh, but U.S. farmers have chosen corn as their preferred crop this season with a higher planting intention of about 92 million acres, about 4% higher than a year ago. Separately, USDA also publishes below market expectations. Now, both reports were overall viewed positively as soybean, soybean oil and corn prices uh, rose by about 2% on the day of the uh, report release. Uh, moving on to weather, so as we all know, La Nina was declared over in early March. Uh, meanwhile, as highlighted earlier, El Nino has a more than 50% chance of making a return, but uh, only from July onwards. Hence, this period uh, of April to June is deemed to be a normalized weather period, and this may just allow U.S. farmers to complete their planting intentions this year. Now, U.S. farmers will start to plant their corn uh, in the month of April, and uh, followed by soybean in the month of May. Now, if farmers miss the window to plant their corn this year, uh, this month, due to unfavorable weather, they have the opportunity to switch to soybean planting in the month of May. So the final planting mix uh, will be keenly watched, and this will be published only on the 30th June of uh, this year in the USDA acreage report. Now, assuming everything goes well, uh, U.S. farmers will hover, which usually so weather uh, prices in the second half of 2023, as we highlighted uh, many times uh, now. So we continue to stay neutral in the sector. Our preferred buys are KL Kepong, First Resources, and Bumita Maagri. Thanks, Chiting. Um, uh, that's it for today. Have a good weekend. Happy Easter. Discuss with your trading rep and download our research and market insights on the Maybank Trade app. Have a good week ahead. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank.